The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Hi, this is Sarah Riff, and welcome to Having It All and Other Lies, the podcast where I talk to people I admire about letting go of perfection, embracing the chaos, and redefining what success and happiness look like to them. Because ultimately, the only definition that matters is our own. Hi, everyone. It is my pleasure to introduce today's guest. Identified as one of the most powerful stylists in the world by both The Hollywood Reporter and The New York Times, Carla Welch is a well-known force in the fashion world, working with everyone from Tracy Ellis Ross to the Biebs himself. When she's not crushing the red carpet game, she's working on one of her other creative ventures, including her cult tea line, Ex Carla, collaborative projects with iconic brands like Levi's, or using her platform most stylishly to raise money and awareness for causes she believes in. Carla, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm so proud of you for this creation. Thank I feel like you. I couldn't imagine anyone more perfect to do something like this. That is so sweet. Where am I finding you? Where are you sheltering right now? I am in my home in Laurel Canyon and I am in my bedroom slash office. I, I've been working from my bed. <laughs> I get dressed. That sounds I, glam. I sit in bed and that's where I want to be. Well, I can attest that while this may not be video, you do look really chic today and pulled together for someone who's working from their bed. I got dressed up literally for you. No, and I appreciate that. Just so you know, I also put on clothing and a little bit of makeup for you. See. So what is your current headspace? Oh, I'm just kind of cruising, to be honest. I actually have been down with an injury. About two weeks in, I got uh, my back went out, which was really frustrated because I was kind of very much embracing quarantine and embracing the fact that, you know, for the last 12 years, I really haven't had any time off. It's been a real kind of upward trajectory of really busy for me. So I thought I could settle into it. And then I got an injury, which was really kind of quite debilitating, but I'm recovering right now, which is great. I don't know. I don't know what my headspace is, to be honest. I have tears for the world. I'm not really worried about myself in any way. So I I don't know. I don't even know if I could put a word. I kind of feel like I'm like floating a little bit through it. Like I'm not getting super stressed out because when I really think about it, then I get a little too stressed out because I kind of surrendered to the virus, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. What do you think about, you know, the idea of things in motion stay in motion? And you mentioned Mm -hmm. that for 12 years, you've been working like a beast, obviously not taking any time off. Had this back injury been something that had flared up before or did it come just as you sort of slowed down? Because I think there's such a big metaphor there too, right? Oh, of course there is. Of course there is. I actually have had, I, this injury is because I ran a marathon on a slip disc and just never recovered, which is idiotic, but I did it anyways. So it pops up, it rears its head when it needs to, and it did so here. But the one thing that bummed me out is I like, I was really leaning into being like, the homemaker and the mom and things that I don't typically get to do that I miss out on because of work. And so I felt kind of sad to be slowed down. Right. I mean, I think our expectations for ourselves during quarantine 
have to be really realistic though. Also, I think so many people went in like, I'm going to win quarantine. I'm going to bake all the banana breads. I'm going to teach my children Chinese. I'm going to do X, (laughs) Y, and Z. And then it's just like, it's okay also to just get through it. And I am acutely aware, and I know you are as well, too, of the very kind of privileged position we're in, that I can be home and that we're safe and healthy. You know, if anything's going to kill me, it's going to be the politics. It's going to be the situation happening at the leadership level. But the last four years have been a nightmare anyway. So I'm in the state of surrender is really where I'm at. What are you missing most? You know, it sounds like in a way this might be a little bit of you know, not that you would want to take a break from work, but sort of in a way that you can't get off the treadmill, the world had to stop for you to sort of sit back and take stock. Yeah. hundred percent. What do I miss? I miss like going out to restaurants. I miss my family a lot. It's not that I got up to Canada a lot anyways, but now that I can't, I really like, I'm like, Ooh, I feel the constraints of of the borders. And I, I do miss going into work. I don't miss the craze of it, to be honest. Like, it's funny. I dropped a couple dresses off to Tracy, Tracy Ellis Ross for everyone listening yesterday. And I got, that was the first time I kind of got really like a little teary. Cause I was like, Oh, I miss that process, but I don't miss the craziness of it. I miss the beauty of it, but I feel like there's so much change that needs to happen anyways. Right. So I miss canceling plans. <laughs> right. Well, it's like, I just want people to ask me somewhere so that I can still say no. Yeah, 100%. That's me. What are the things that are getting you through it right now? You know, like obviously when you're going through an emotional thing and then you have a physical thing, it just compounds it. So you're just like, mm-hmm. you don't have the stamina to push through and it can really affect your mood. But are there any things that you find are helping you? I know consuming too much media can also push you over the edge. For sure. Cause things are so amplified as well. Like people are acting crazy and because in, in the era of social media, everything's amplified. That was wrong with this country anyways. What's getting me through? I won't lie. I love my wine at five or four. You know what? Time is not important. Time is not right? important. I'm doing this little thing to raise money. With Stella. With Stellar Tron, it's so nice to chat with my girls. I've had a really lovely time doing that. And I'm pretty zen person. Like, do I work in high stress environment? Yes. But I can always keep my like chill. And sometimes I just am like, okay, we're just going to like get through it. It's like a crazy award season. You can't think, oh my God, I've got so much to do. You just more think, okay, I'm just ticking it off. Right. Doggy paddling through it. Right. You're just kind of like kicking furiously underneath the surface, trying to stay calm. And there's never been any situation which has been solved by a freak out, you know, is how I always feel. Yeah. You can't change the variable. You know what I mean? Like we are not at the helm of what's going on. So what can you do except for control how you respond to it? Totally. And there are moments like in the last two weeks where it's like, I don't want to be in the house with these people anymore. But I mean, we can just all go to our corners. That's why I'm in my room. And Matthew has a room on the other side and Clem has a room and then we can greet later. So of course there's like persnickety bitchiness or feeling blue, but I'm very thankful at the same time. And you're right. Like the world has all stopped. So, okay, we're just going to roll with it. Right. And I think that that actually gives people 
you know, as sort of strange as it is, it also, there's a sensation of like, there's no FOMO. There's nothing that's going on outside of the house that I'm not participating in. There's nothing that I'm sidelined by something else and everything else is still moving. So for sure, all of those kind of insecurities towards society in that way are really diminished. I feel thankful for Clem in a way as a teenager too, like, like these poor kids, they're, you know, graduating to go to high school or they're graduating high school and it's all being stunted. But for parents, you know, we get this bonus time with them, which I love. What about for you in the business? Like, how are you guys weathering the storm? It's again, the great unknown. Like I still am having my girls come in and we've organized the studio. I'm trying to keep everybody as employed as long as I can, which, you know, is it's hard when you have zero jobs coming in. But I don't know. It's hard because you can take your guesses like what's it going to look like or there's definitely going to be less promotion. There's going to be less events. Like you kind of have to like tighten the hatches a little bit, batten the hatches rather. Got to do something to the hatches is all we know. You got to you gotta take care of the hatches or like, or you're screwed. But I think like it's going to be a while. Like I don't know what our industry is going to look like. And I don't know if I feel like there's much guidance out there because Again, we're in this like great unknown. It's so every night or once a day, you know, I'll just say, fuck, this is crazy. I don't know. Do you have any insight on your end? What it's no, like? I wish I had insight onto anything. The only thing I know very explicitly is I don't know anything at all. But as far as, you know, with ex Carla, I would think, you know, like if you look at this sort of consumer habits right now, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, are people shopping? Are people panicking? What are the types of things that people are buying? I would imagine teas, things that make you feel a little elevated at home, but still comfortable could really do very well right now. Obviously I'm looking at you looking very chic in a t-shirt. Thank you. Thank you. Mine's by Frankie which whom I love, little Frankie shop. I thought Um, that was a Frankie shop, but you know, in my mind, all I see is ex Carla. Well, thank you. But this is, I, I support others, but X Carla is a tiny business. Like we are so small. So we had to be nimble. Like we had to not be afraid of putting stuff on sale because we have to stay alive. So my goal with it is just to run it very lean, try my best. You know, like we put out a tank top that's done incredibly well and then just kind of survive. I do have a couple collaborations coming out this year, which I'm really excited about, but I don't know what people are going to do. Like I fear for people. I think it's kind of crazy that the government and they're like, get the economy up running. It's like, there is no economy. No one has a job right now. Nobody feels safe. Like, so I I try to be sensitive. It's hard to like do the balance. I'm like, I hate having to say, Hey, will you buy my shirt? When I'm think, I don't know if you can feed yourself. So it's a hard place to be, but at the same time, I still have to do it. You know, like we still have to forge ahead and what it's going to look like in a year. I don't know. That brings me to my first question for you, which is as you look to building your life, you know, when you were younger, I know you grew up in Canada and you can tell us a little bit about where you came from, but did you have a notion of what having it all looked like to you and what sort of life you wanted to build? And how did you get here to this bedroom in Laurel Canyon from your <laughs> tiny little town in Canada? I did come from a tiny little town and I am the youngest of four siblings. And it's really funny. I had given was given so much room, I think, because my parents were working and my mom went back to work when I was 12. She's a nurse and my parents worked really, really, really hard. That's where I get my work ethic from. And so I think I was left a lot to my own devices, or we were actually very like this unit. 
where it's like, I didn't need a lot of external sources. I had like friends down the street. And of course, then I had friends in high school and groups that became more important to my family, but we were really a tight knit enclosed family. But at the same time, my parents didn't really push me personally. I think they were tired when it got to me. Like my sister's a doctor, my brother's an engineer, my other brother's like an MBA. And I'm not downplaying myself. I worked really hard and I love what I do. But they were like, we're good. We have some successful ones here. What happens with the youngest? Like is anybody's guess. So it's fine, of course. But you know, it's so funny. Everything you kind of really do, I realize is like, so your parents are proud of you, which I think is a testament to their success as parents. You know, I always knew I loved fashion because I grew up in my dad had a small store. That's where I'm also super sensitive to small businesses and helping them supporting small businesses where I can. But you know what? I've had this weird thing, Sarah, and this is going to sound so crazy. And I wish I could have impart better like plans to people, but I kind of always have had this weird sixth sense or like intuition that's really guided me through life. I've always been acutely aware of the signs. And maybe it's because I daydreamed a ton when I was a kid and I played by myself, but I've always picked up on like these paths. And so I never stressed out. I was never like, what the fuck am I going to do? And like, I floundered. Don't get me wrong, dear listeners. Like there, I was a total stoner. I like got shitty grades for a while. I didn't know what I was going to do. I mean, maybe I should have been a surfer. Like I literally just would catch the waves. But then at the same time, (laughs) uh, as much as I was like super laid back, I worked harder than anybody I've ever known. But I wasn't like that hyper driven, even though I'm super driven. I wasn't that kind of like obnoxious driven where you're just like, oh, that fucking girl. I was just more like, I can put my head down and really, really work at something when I, when that's what I fall into and I love. Like when I worked in the restaurant business, I loved it. I loved being a great employee. I loved the art of service. I worked so hard at that. And then when I pivoted and met Matthew and came down here. Well, I'll tell you what I didn't like and what I wasn't good at. I was a shitty producer. Matthew had me producing stuff for him. And man, did I fucking hate that job. And so that's the one point in my life where I was really um, quite lost and stressed out. That's actually when a lot of my back injuries started happening. So that's an interesting point out that you did. I think we're noticing a sign that maybe you're not picking up on, right? Yes. This back might be trying to tell you something. Well, so as far as signs, I love that because I think, you know, in the sort of Glennon Doyle, maybe what you are referring to is your knowing. You had an inner knowing of a sense of confidence that if you worked really hard, that maybe even though you didn't know exactly what it was you wanted to do, that you would figure it out. And that's, you know, you're able to follow the signs. But do you remember anything specifically that came up that pointed you in one direction or another? For example, I remember this this job I had at this bakery in Vancouver called Echo Apane, which really pushed me on like, I had seen Tequila Sunrise with like Mel Gibson and Michelle Pfeiffer. And I was like, I want to run a restaurant. And so I just kind of like picked up on these cues and I saw an ad for this bakery and then I just applied. And that's where I found like one of my first mentors, this man, Christopher, who really taught me how to lead and how to like love carbohydrates, um, but just service. And then at that moment, my future mentor, Vikram Vidge, came into the rest, uh, that bakery and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to work for him. And so in ways I like had some crazy manifestation 
but this is sound, I sound crazy right now. Oh my God. I don't, and I know it's privileged, but I I don't want to diminish the fact that I've worked 18 hour days. So I just never really stressed out. Like I didn't stress out that university wasn't my thing. I was just more like, okay, this isn't my thing. I don't need to keep going to university. I'm going to shift to this. You were an early, an early pivoter. I'm an early pivoter. And I think what my underlying thing is, I want to tell people, my underlying feeling is that just keep it chill. Don't freak the fuck out Mm -hmm. because it's all going to work. And, and within styling, it's not that I didn't freak out at the beginning. I'd be like, why am I not getting like the clients I want to get? But I had this drive in me just to like settle into it and just work. Right. Stay the course, go easy. It will reveal itself. Yeah. But for you growing up, did you imagine I want to live a big sort of glam life where I'm living in Los Angeles and I want to work with pop stars and I want to design my own line? Did you have, you know, I want to have children. I don't want to have children. I want a big career. I want to stay at home. Did you have anything that looked like that for you? No, no, I really didn't. You were just like at I the did. Pandemon or what was your bakery called? Just shucking croissants. Yeah, no, um, echo upon a, which means here's the bread. I don't know that I, I did. Do you know, isn't that funny? I, I, I wasn't like a kid who planned out their wedding or had any ideas of really anything. I'm sure my parents are shocked. I've ended up as successful as I have. I doubt but also, that. I doubt they're shocked. Well, yeah, yeah, I know. I don't, I guess I always just, Put myself into work and work is a really defining feature of me wherever I was. I had a job actually at 11. I delivered papers and then I had a job at my dad's store for all my high school years, all my college years. And I worked at a floating gas station and I always just was like a very work driven person. I'm so, so sorry, did you say floating gas station? Yes. What does that mean? So it's a gas station for boats and the boats would come in and you would tie them up and then you'd give them their gas and then they would go on their merry way. It was a great job. This is very and cool. And I had that job from like 15 to 18. I feel like if I ever got a resume with somebody who'd been working at a um, floating gas station, that would definitely stand out. Yes. But no, I don't know that I had a plan. But I will say once I met Matthew and I moved to the United States and fell in love. But here's one funny thing I'll tell you. There were signs pointing to California my whole life. I was obsessed with the civil rights movement. I was obsessed with American history. I did all this research on Martin Luther King. I I was more interested in the American political system than I was in the Canadian political system. So I had this kind of love and definitely an idea in my mind of what California was, which is of course like when you see Santa Monica and Venice Beach, that's what in my mind's eye, what I thought it was all about. And of course through music. So that was a sign. But when I moved to the States and then I kind of saw what styling was, I was like, that's what I'm going to do. And I just dove fully into it and was very like broad in my approach that I would never say no to any type of job. So I've done like the craziest jobs. And then, you know, then eventually it led to celebrity styling. And again, I didn't say no. So it's not that I had this, like, I'm going to get this client and I'm going to do this, this, this. I'm like, I, I cast a wide net. I think that that's great. And, you know, a lot of people have a romanticized notion of what certain careers look like. And until you're really in it, you don't know what it really entails. And obviously we now live in a time where 
stylists aren't as much behind the scene as they used to be back in the day. There is this whole movement towards glam squads. And, you know, obviously you're sharing a lot of the experience on social. And so it can look like an incredibly glamorous life, which I'm sure there are aspects of it that are. But I know firsthand that there's also an incredible amount of grunt work that goes into it. And you're sitting in a place where you have been working at this for years, obviously, in honing your craft and putting in your time. But what do you think are some of the bigger challenges that come along with styling that people don't see when they're just looking at you from their own small town in Canada? Sure. I mean, I think, you know, it's been almost 17 years and it's only recently that I say no or I don't go out and do the polls, just send people and I have a great team. I think I could cure anybody of wanting to be a stylist in a day, a day's work, (laughs) because it's so much time. And the only reason I'm at where I'm at is because I've made humongous sacrifices. Like what's a vacation? Even now to get to take a, I mean, now we're all on, we're all on a bit of a break and that's, this is, I guess will be my life's vacation, but like that just didn't happen. And the sheer amount of not making home for dinner and the sheer amount of time I missed from Clem to get to where I'm at. And of course I have some regrets, but I also don't have regrets because I've put us in a position to have so many great opportunities now because of my hard work. And, and I truly love my work. I I'm happily not defined by work, but at the same time, my work is such a defining characteristic of who I am, if that makes any sense. No, I I understand. I think what you're saying is that you are not defined by what you do. You know, obviously you have a passion for all of, all of the work that you put in, but at the same time, it is a big part of who you are and you love it, but there's all these other elements to what make you, you that extend beyond just styling celebrity and styling fashion. You said it perfectly. Did I speak Carla in that moment? Yes, thank you. Well, you spoke Sarah for me, which I appreciate. I spoke Sarah for you. So, and then tell me a little bit about, obviously you have this huge career and you're styling everyone from Justin Bieber to red carpet icons like Tracy Ellis Ross and Olivia Wilde. Mm -hmm. A few years ago, you introduced your own line. Was that something that you had always dreamed about pursuing or was it through your styling that you were like, I can't find this t-shirt, you know, that is constantly eluding me or was there an external push or how did that come to be? It was a bit of both, to be honest. You know, when I was making t-shirts, I was making them for Justin because he wanted a really specific cut. And then one day I was like, oh my God, why am I not making these t-shirts for everyone? And then why don't I make a t-shirt that I really want for myself? And so it took a couple of years and then we teamed up with Hanes to do it. And If I think back in my childhood, I probably always wanted to be a fashion designer, but I don't consider myself a designer at all. I feel like I'm someone who is probably more of a creative director who takes an idea of something I really want to see. And then I, you know, work with the team to create it. I would never insult fashion designers by putting myself in their lexicon of work, but I love it. And it's been incredible. You know, I got to do Levi's and I have a Dockers two more Levi's collections coming out. And Matthew's amazing because he helps run all the Matthew business being side your of your husband and also a photographer Matthew. and a creative director. Yeah. And we create together and we get to like, you know, we're doing a shoot for interview this weekend with Lizzie Moss and we're doing a little film. And, and I feel like what's been so amazing 
And maybe you and, you know, you doing this podcast as well. It's like, hasn't it been incredible over the last five years to be able to say, actually, no, I'm not one thing. I think that the notion that you have to be one thing for the rest of your life is super antiquated. And we are all so complex in what our passions are and what appeals to us at various different times in our life. And if we don't pursue the things that set our hearts on fire in some capacity, I think that there's all these sort of missed opportunities for everyone, you know? And I, the further along you get in your career, sometimes it can be harder and scarier to take certain steps because you don't want to fail at one thing when you're already good at doing something else. For sure. Fear of failure probably can keep me up a little bit at night. I'm like, ah, you know, I, I do, I will say I do stress out a little bit about failure, but also it's like, it's way more important to try. What is failure? What is success? Like what does success look like to you? Now, being happy, being like having a robust business, being able to like provide a life with my family, being able to like settle into kind of being a creative person. And for the longest time, I think I was afraid of like saying that. I think when, when I started styling, there was a real hierarchy, you know, it was the art director, the creative director, the director, and like you were pushed down to this place. And maybe it's because, you know, the power of the red carpet stylist has obviously increased greatly over the years. And then realizing, oh, I can actually do more things. I can help make the picture. Maybe I can take the picture. This further openness of just really thinking outside the paradigm, you know, it's like, and that's what I really think about quarantine and COVID and how it's a bridge to the new world and how it's only going to be really outside the box thinkers that thrive and survive. I mean, we're all going to, we're going to survive, but who's going to thrive is people who can look at things quite differently. You look at someone like a Virgil Abloh and who is incredible. And I love Virgil and I love talking to him. And we met years ago and we chatted all night and just about not being limited. Like, why am I only calling myself a stylist when actually I'm a creative and I'm a leader and I'm a founder and I don't love it when people feel like they have to exist in that one box or other people put you in that one box. I kind of want to explore all of those. I hear everything that you're saying. I think sometimes it's about confidence. It's about people being really protective of other people, not stepping into their lane a little bit. Even for me in this podcast, I think trying a new venture and doing something where you're taking a risk and taking a chance is really daunting. The only limitations that we have are ourselves, right? And we put way too much thought into what other people are going to think about us. And unfortunately, that limits us a lot because you're like, well, I'm already this thing, right? For sure. So throwing out that notion and just pursuing the things that you want to with no regard for how other people are going to take it is really very brave. I do think there's a lot of bravery in it where I've kind of bucked the system. I make my own deals. I line my own stuff up. I go after what I want to do. And so I do think I'm brave, actually. I, yeah. You know, if nothing else comes out of this podcast, I hope that it's that you realize how brave you are. And even your dog seems to agree, you know? Ziggy he was Bruce. like, <laughs> preach, preach, because she is. Also, don't you think that a lot of times it's the people who aren't pursuing the things that they want to, who have a lot of judgment about you stepping outside your lane and doing other things? A hundred percent, of course. And and that's a great thing with becoming an adult and just not giving a fuck. Right. I know that you have sort of an organic approach to how you have 
come into your career and, you know, how life has unfolded. But what about taking victories and sort of celebrating the accomplishments that you have had, which have been vast? It sounds like you've had like a crazy 12 year run. Can you take a moment and really reflect on like, oh, you know, I had wanted to do X, Y, and Z and I've done all of those things. I want to talk about continuing to stay motivated to do more while recognizing what you already have and what you've already accomplished. I will say like I do get brief moments of being like, oh, wow, amazing. Like, you know, I got a New Yorker article. So I put it up and I was like, wow, this is really fucking cool. For the longest time, you know, when you're a stylist based on your clientele, and I remember I had one CinemaCon in Vegas and it was like a really cool lineup of girls. And I remember being like, I'm so happy with my client list. And that was a really big thing for me because I didn't covet what other people were doing, I felt really like, wow, I felt great about it. So I do think you have to celebrate your achievements. Now moving forward, obviously you are very goal-oriented and driven. Do you have things that are sort of on your list in the next five years? I'd like to accomplish A, B, and C. And this applies, you know, both personal life and career-wise. Obviously like you know, you have a really successful home life too, that you've built a beautiful family. It sounds like you've made a unit a lot like the one that you grew up with, which is like that insular team. Yeah, we are insular. I don't know that I find myself to be a huge success as a parent. I think that's something that I have to very much work on. Why is that? I find parenting to be very frustrating. I don't have the easiest kid, go figure. I blame that on Matthew, but I, I think that- all his genetics for sure. For sure. And you know, it's funny. I had a real conversation with one of my gurus, a good friend of mine, Angela Manuel Davis, and just about how, you know, we're very much in an industry where we give our energy to everyone else. I give all my love and my affection to my clients. And sometimes that's run out by the time I get home. So something I'm going to really work on is making sure that I'm giving my attention to the right people. Right. But in terms of like work, I'm launching a new company in September, which I'm not going to give you all the details on right now. That's a... We're getting a sneak peek. Yeah. And this has been three years in the making and it's coming and it's completely outside of fashion. And it's, I feel actually where a lot of my life is going to end up and where maybe I've tapped into what I feel is my true purpose. And that's not saying what I'm doing now isn't purpose-driven because it really is. And I'm so grateful, but I feel like it's led me to what I'm about to do. Okay. We'll watch this space. I can't wait to see what that is, but I just want to focus on you being purpose-driven for a minute because something that has been obviously such a bonus of the career that you've built is the platform that you're able to have to advocate for causes that are really important to you. And I wanted to ask you, has that been something that, you know, as a child, were you encouraged to speak up for those who couldn't speak up for themselves or for, or to speak up when you saw something that didn't sit with you the right way? Yeah, I was encouraged to, but I did. (laughs) I was always Was your family like that? Not a ton, but also, you know, I grew up in this really small, small town, but I was always getting myself into trouble by like standing up for people. And it was really interesting when I even started on social media, because I wasn't an early person to, to the language or to Instagram. And at first I wasn't even posting work. And then I realized, oh, I should post work. And then you post more work and you're right. It's 
it's a platform for me and I can't imagine not using it. And because, you know, with X Carla, every collaboration I do is, has a huge charity component. And I don't want to use the word charity, but what we do is I get money from Levi's or from Dockers or from Express. And we make donations to organizations that are really needing money that are doing the work that obviously I can't do because I'm not an on the ground activist like that. But that's how I use my platform and my leverage to raise money. It just seemed like with Stella Artois, like how we're we're raising money now for World Central Kitchen. I'm doing... But they're donating like $10,000 per conversation, right? To various yeah. organizations, which is huge. Yeah. And I wonder, do you do you ever have problems or have you had any negative feedback from companies? Because the truth is, is that so many brands, so many companies are afraid of alienating people by speaking up one way or the other yeah. on so many things. Oh, for sure. I, of course, of course I have. I've not gotten several jobs, but also like I'm in the point where I'm making my own jobs now too, right? Like I am getting all these collaborations, which of course I'm being paid for as well, but that's just the bonus of it. Like I am who I am. Like if you are following me on social media, that's who I am. Right. You can take it or leave it. Yeah, exactly. And I feel that way towards brands because I feel like brands have got to figure out where the line in the sand is for them and how can they operate properly. And I, I think you're seeing an even greater push to authentic humans and like you're seeing it in, you know, what influencers are still important right now and what voices we're listening to. And I think it's a good thing. And I, and I'm not doing it for likes. I'm doing it out of my utter outrage and my feel of like, if this is the only soapbox I can scream off of, I'm going to do it. Right. I would never silence my voice in order to get a job. Well, let's be real. That's a privilege that you have earned at this uh, point. Of course. You know, and a lot of people don't have that. But I just, I think that the way that you do it is really cool. Yeah. What is that like, you know, as far as you mentioned parenting earlier, as a woman, we wear so many hats, right? Like as a human, we wear so many hats. But I think that a lot of times, a lot of the responsibility for child rearing and a lot of the kind of domestic stuff does fall on the woman, whether or not she's working outside the home. And you, like you said, you know, you have struggled with that. What do you feel like have been the concessions that you've made as a working parent? And do you think that balance is something that people can really find? Or is that an, a unrealistic expectation to be held to? Well, I'm really fortunate that Matthew actually took the majority of the child rearing when Clem was a baby, because that's when I was really just starting to get super busy and, you know, doing the small jobs when Clem was little. There are a lot of people who are super balanced and have it all figured out and can come home. Like my sister's like one of those people where like she gets Christmas cards off and she has three kids and they're all in sports and yet she cooks dinner. Isn't she also like like an AIDS doctor or something crazy? Cancer doctor. Cancer doctor. Jesus. Yeah, and getting like, and in getting the Christmas cards out, like that's just like, come on, read the room, woman. She does those calendars with everybody's got a special page no. on their birthday month. I'm like, what the fuck? I got none of that. So funny, but I don't think I'm ever going to have that balance. So I just have to keep trying to be better. That's really all I can do, and it's all a case of like. I think Matthew, are you around the corner laughing at me? I think he's probably laughing at what I'm saying right now, but I think it's all in the try. And, you know, I'm a bit stumped, to be honest, because I don't know really what the answers are. And you can read the books and 
but each little person is so different. And I haven't been blessed with what I would call an, an easy child. And I'm, I'm all, by all means, I'm not saying Clem's this problem, but Clem has like things we've had to work on all her all life with sensory and sort of gender stuff. And it's a challenge, especially when you're easygoing, but intense, but, but we're all intense at the same time. Like we're all this house of artists that you guys feel it all. You know what it is? It's when you feel it all. And I think Clem is a person who feels it all. And it's sometimes where you're just like, fuck, just be easy for God's sake. And you lose your cool after working, you know, a long, long day where you're managing personalities all day as well. You've got your own kids on set too. You know, that's a whole different thing. Your team, you're just like, oh God, don't bring me any more drama. Right. I don't want any more drama. No, but you know what? (laughs) I I so respect that. I just think that like, again, you know, the other thing is really about like, we live in a super comparative culture and we all are under the very bright lights of the filtered images and everybody's life looks a certain way. And it's just, I think it's, it's such an important narrative to acknowledge that everyone that you're looking at, like as much success as it looks like, there's nothing easy, nothing, no one feels like they've got it all figured out. No one feels like they are killing it at home, at work. They're crushing like the career, life, family balance. You know, I I think the solidarity is the fact that there's a lot of unity and that we all feel kind of like we're fucking up a lot of the time. Yeah, totally. Oh my God. I feel like I'm fucking up all the time, but you know what? It's like when they say your kids are your teachers, it's, it's really true. And you have to kind of think, what is Clem teaching me about myself right now? And maybe now that we have a little more time on our hands, I can get more introspective and, and I can see my failings as a parent. And Sometimes I think, oh my God, maybe I wasn't meant to be a parent, but here I am. I've made this contract to society, so I better like get my shit together. Right. And And by the way, dear viewer, I I love my child. It's not that I'm a shitty parent because I'm not. We're so involved. But like most things I like work really hard at and I achieve very successfully. You're getting a little pushback. Yeah. Parenting is like, oh, I'm not good at this. And it's interesting what you said about comparison, because for the longest time, you know, I see my siblings who have like great kids, everybody gets along together. And then I'm come from a place with, there can be a lot of tension. And that was a real hard thing to realize. And that was before we realized Clem had some sensory issues that needed to work on to help Clem. And, you know, it was always like a real like, ah, why is my kid not normal? And then when I realized, oh, fuck, who fucking cares? What's normal? Exactly. And surrendered to that. Then I was like, oh, this is so much better. God, mothers are crazy people. Right. Wait till you become one. I think that there's a really good saying about that, about mothers being crazy. Yeah, Salinger. I, I can't remember. J.D. Salinger said like all mothers are a little bit crazy. Right. And I think that that's so true. Well, how could you not be? I think birthing a human and being responsible for that and feeling the supreme weight of trying to navigate someone's life the biggest takeaway for me was, you know, I had a hard time when I became a parent. I think I really tripped out for a while because I assumed that I would be at a place in my life where I felt like I knew everything. You know, I think when you're younger, you, you think your parents really are kind of steering the ship in a way because they've got it all figured out. And what you realize when you become a parent is you are still just as much figuring it out. But oh my now God, yeah. the the stakes are so much higher. You know, you want to get it right for somebody else. And that makes us all a little crazy. Yeah. 
let me ask you a question now. Do you believe in the social construct of having it all? And if so, what does having it all look like to you, Carla Welch, today? I don't believe in it. Mm -hmm. I really want to live like you are here, you are here. And that's where I am. I have goals of what I want this new company to be and where it's going to take me and where it's going to take my family. So I do have the work goals there, but there are broader world goals. And so I never really think in those constructs. Mm -hmm. Again, I just, the concept of having it all, it's like, I don't think you can have it all because I know I, I can't. I can't have this super successful career, which I love. And I, I have that, but it came as a consequence of like fractured family life. And so I'm working on the fractured family life. And I'm just going to be honest, like, God, that's great for people who do. But in my own world, maybe like the personalities I live with and I birthed and who I am, that's just always going to have to be something we work on our whole lives. So what I'm more focused on is the fucking one day at a time and the chipping away at the goals, but also ultimately finding happiness in every moment. Right. Of the journey, but there's no there, there. There's never going to be a point where you sit back, you exhale and just think, ah, I made it. I already have. I, in my moment right now, I could say, yeah, I fucking made it, but there's a million other things to be done. I can't sit back at, when you look at the state of America right now, I can't sit back when you look at the environment. So like I've made it, but I'm going, keeping going. Right. And you're coexisting in a world that has a lot to undertake and we've got a lot of work to do. Exactly. What about for you outside of COVID? Is there something in your life that could be a practice, could be a product? We're calling it the riff, but it's like something that you do on the daily that you feel makes your life a little easier. I have dove headfirst into the world of Deepak Chopra. Okay. And I've always loved yoga and meditation and he did a talk with my client, Megan Rapino, the soccer superstar. And he did a grounding at the beginning. And it was so incredible. And I felt like in a moment, a shift. So I'm trying to listen to like a little bit of that every day and just kind of surrender. I read this amazing book called The Surrender Experiment. And what I realized and what I identified in The Surrender Experiment, it's a great book, everybody what I realize is that maybe I have been surrendering my whole life to like these opportunities that have come and things that didn't work out, but like I've surrendered and gone with them. So it's interesting now that I'm just realizing that while talking to you about how, where I said I followed my instincts, which I have done. And then I do a bit of guided meditation and just look for those little bit of teaching. And I find that when I get that, I carry it throughout my day. Even when everything goes ass backwards and haywire and I got a teenager yelling or is upset or not upset, you know, I try to hold on to those things and knowing that I have a purpose-driven life. So that's what I'm excited about. And and by the way, everybody, I also like sometimes want to sleep till 10 and like eat cereal all day. And I kind of do it sometimes, but- Sometimes that's your purpose. Sometimes that's my purpose. But that idea of like, did you work on the purpose tour with Justin? I sure did. <laughs> There's a lot of purpose in this big, beautiful life of yours. Yeah. So I guess that's my riff right now is kind of finding little things that can ground me and little lessons that I can take through. And, it, and it's surrender. I think surrender is my thing. The surrendering to 
what's out there. And And you're surrendering in this moment too. That's actually come full circle because you started off by saying that you were surrendering to it. So I think it's really seeping into your psyche and I just depocked it out of you. And now you're going to have to send me a bill for this hour of therapy. Honestly, you've been just, you've been surrendered this whole time. I'm so happy that you joined us and I really appreciate all your candor and your honesty and it never doesn't feel messy, but it doesn't mean that it's not amazing. You know, what is funny is like, we've become a culture where of talkers, right? Where it's like all these people and bless their hearts because they're educators, and I, and I don't mean that in a condescending way that bless your hearts. I mean it with sincerity, but like we've become a culture of like talking, 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 unpacking, 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 which I think is great, but it's also okay to be rambling with your thoughts and not as articulate as you want to be sometimes, which is often where I find myself. I'm like, Oh, I should have said it like this, but it's like, yeah, it's the surrender. It's like, okay, here we are. You got to be you. Yep. And I love your ramble if that's what you're calling it. Okay, great. Okay. For anybody who doesn't follow you already, where can they find you? I'm at Carla Welch stylist on Instagram. And and then I think I'm at Carla Welch on Twitter. Twitter is where I just repost tons of politics because I'm continually outraged. Where can we find your TikTok dances? Oh, (laughs) Uh, nowhere. And you can also find me at X Carla. Okay. Thank you so much, Carla, for making the time for us today. Thank you so much, Sarah. Congratulations. Thank you. Nothing at all. Exactly. (laughs) We're trying. And scene. That's it for today's episode. If you have a chance, please rate and review only the good stuff. Of course, hit subscribe to keep up with new episodes and spread the word to all of your friends. Thanks for joining and please follow along at having it all podcast. See you next week.